I've got a nice lyric today. Hmm. Um, that I did that I did choose because it's one of my favourite songs and I think it's apt. But we'll hmm. see. <laughs> Here we go. When you're standing at the crossroads and don't know which path to choose, let me come along because even if you're wrong, I'll stand by you. The words, I believe, of Chrissy Hind of mm. uh, The Pretenders or just Pretenders. I, I, I'm a fan of um, Stan Tatkin's work and he does an awful lot on the neurobiology of uh, relationships and dating. And he talks about a good relationship being someone who shares the same foxhole as you. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's quite a... Because so many times we can be almost adversarial and we have a challenge between us. But actually, you know, this idea of being together in stuff, you know, I'll stand by you even if you're wrong. When it when it matters most and when it's when it's tested the most. Um, and this doesn't have to be relational in, you know, in relation to another person. It could be mm. something that you say to yourself. Yeah. And, you know, kind of, you know, wrong in whose eyes? Mm hmm. You know, and this always makes you think of that thing, you know, uh, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Welcome to the A to Z of happiness with Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. Join us as we unpack the science of happiness one letter at a time. This week, it's C for compassion. Can you give us the <laughs> the uh, person who stands up at the... Uh, at the best man's speech and does the <laughs> Oxford the Oxford English Dictionary defines love as well yeah yeah well I'm not going to go with the Oxford English Dictionary uh, sorry Dictionary fans I I, I I know that you were you were waiting for me to do that I'm actually going to I know <laughs> if they haven't already um, but I I really I'm drawing on a definition that Dr Paul Gilbert has come up with and he is. You know, a wonderful, lovely chap who has been, you know, a practicing clinical psychologist for, for, for many decades. And he's developed something called compassion focused therapy because he's, you know, he's realized that having compassion, particularly for ourselves, is fundamental. And, you know, and there's like there's a fancy way of saying it. Mm. which I will share, but mm. there's the one which like, he puts in his introduction to the compassionate mind, which is a much more user-friendly version. And he says that compassion can be defined in many ways, but its essence is a basic kindness with a deep awareness of the suffering of oneself and other living beings, coupled with the wish and effort to relieve it. You know, the, 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 the version he puts in his clinical book is um, a sensitivity to uh, the suffering of self and others and a desire to prevent or alleviate it, which is, you know, more of a, more of a clinical yeah. thing because it has then the, the emotional aspect, you know, the empathy of what's going on, but also the action aspect. Um, and this is why there's a lot of talk about compassion fatigue very often, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, it's actually more empathy fatigue because when you have compassion, you're able to take agency on things. Um, but that always reminds me of uh, any time I hear the phrase compassion fatigue, I'm taken back to a, a, a very early comic relief bit uh, segment um, mm. out in, in Africa uh, by Billy Connolly. Mm. And there had obviously been at the time of him recording it, some backlash probably in the right wing, probably in the Daily Mail, mm. about compassion fatigue. 
and I think a sense perhaps in the, I guess it would have been mid 80s, mid to late 80s, that we were done, we, you know, we, we di- we'd given all we can or we, we're being asked to give too much and we're all exhausted and, and, and we don't have anything more to give. And, and he sort of, mm. he had this this thing of, you know, looking at a, a, a you know, starving child in Africa and going, don't talk to me about compassion for, well, absolute nonsense, compassion fatigue. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, that's just, that's what it reminds me of. So you, you mentioned empathy. Um, what, so we, we've got, I guess we've got a, a, a trifecta, uh, mm. a, a little triangle here between sympathy, empathy, and compassion. I remember talking about it in A-level English. Can we ele- elevate <laughs> that discussion a little bit to, to, to grown-ups? Well, well, I don't know whether I'm going to elevate it, but certainly, you know, this is something which we talk about um, at the museum, you know, the differences. And Brene Brown does this, you know, love, there's a lovely little animation by the Royal Society of the Arts, which talks about um, empathy, the difference between empathy and sympathy in particular. But sympathy tends to be a cognitive thing. It's kind of like, I, I can see your suffering, you know, that, oh, glad I'm not you, mm. <laughs> really. And, and the effect of sympathy can actually be quite isolating. Um, you know, I've had, when I've explained my, my illness and my limitations, I've had sympathetic responses, even if I've actually not said that I'm suffering. It's kind of, oh, oh poor you. Mm. Oh, dear. You know, and that can... <laughs> I've just seen your face. <laughs> dear listener, my skin is crawling. <laughs> and I never knew you could actually see... That was a visible phenomenon with people. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, and so, yeah, you know, it's, there's, a, there's an intellectual, maybe not intellectual, but, but a head-based aspect to that. You know, I, I, I can see you in that, that situation. Yeah. Um, empathy is, is the feeling with, um, and, you know, in, in the animation, uh, it, it shows like someone climbing. If, imagine if, you know, it just mentioned... If you're in a foxhole or in a in down deep in a hole, a pit of depression, whatever, it's someone taking a ladder and climbing down beside you. That's exactly what I was thinking of. It's, it's that is that old. I don't know if it was a joke or whatever. The um, it's you know someone falls down a well and someone comes down after and says, "At least I'm down here with you." Yeah. 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 And actually, you know, one of the great parts of empathy is, you know, revealing experiences to the other person which show that they are not alone and that requires you know emotional attunement that requires vulnerability that requires exposure actually because you know one of the challenges is you know someone might say and with the best will in the world you know oh I know exactly how you're feeling Mm. unfortunately yeah, it's 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 not like physically, biologically possible as as far as I know. Yeah. But what you can say is, you know, when I went through this, I felt like this, yes. you know. Or if I, you know, if I were you, I can I completely understand why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. Yeah, you know. So there has to be an element of, but it's very much, you know, we have we end up we have these things called, you know, mirror neurons. And we can end up, you know, having the same physiological response. We become attuned to someone. And if they are in a very um, dark, difficult place and we have just got empathy, we can actually come out of the situation feeling pretty lousy ourselves because we have, 
you know, are, are you're, you're, you're nodding. It's, because it's, we're down here, <laughs> we're, we're down in the hole with them. You know, we, we're, we're, that's that's the thing. We're, we're in there, we're experiencing it as well. And that's as draining as as, as yeah, being yeah. in the hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so that, that like, and you're saying about, you know, yeah, at least I'm down here too. Yeah. The compassion one is, you know, what we've just talked about. Yeah, I'm down in the hole with you. Here's my experience. And look, I came down on a ladder. I reckon we can probably climb up it to get back out. Mm-hmm. It's the action part. It's having the the agency, you know, the desire to alleviate or prevent suffering. You know, rather than this is where the difference between compassion and empathy when it comes to fatigue, you know, empathy fatigue is, as you just said, if we're down in that hole as well, you know, that is going to deplete our resources as, uh, you know, as, as much as the other person. But if we have compassion, we have, we're able, it's like a dual aspect. We're able to be completely emotionally attuned and hold on to, you know, the rung of the ladder, the end of the rope, uh, a torch to point ourselves, both of us, out of there or to at least to if not take the other person out because actually you know one of the things which um i want to talk about is how stuff doesn't necessarily need to be healed it just needs to be held Mm. and actually there can be something about two pairs of eyes down in that dark pit both of them getting used to the change in light and then both being able to see a way out, you know, just by just sitting there and becoming, just being with the experience. And so trying to take some of the, the active, the, 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 the energy out of, you know, the, the fixing energy out of these things, yeah. you know, because very often if we want to heal something or we fix or we want to fix something that has an unconscious message that it's broken and that in and of itself can cause people to feel shame you know but actually just being with them you know um i don't want to get too much into self-compassion right now but one of the pillars of self-compassion is common humanity and just again this feeling of you know you're not alone in your experience and that can be huge how important is because okay so we we can we can understand this from it's nice it's it's nice to be nice (laughs) is there more to it than that in terms of, of of its importance yeah i mean you know i've been just drawing again from dr paul gilbert's book a compassionate mind he spends a considerable amount of it just pointing out that compassion is a biological necessity you know, he, he you know, talks about how Bowlby, you know, the, the attachment theory side of things. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, the experience we have in our formative years when our brain is at its, at its most plastic, when it's still forming, you know, that's when the primary period of our brains being, you know, biologically designed to respond to the care and kindness of others. You know, and there's been results, you know, um, research shown that, you know, depending on the levels of care an infant has in those early years actually affects the development of the brain, particularly the, 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 the executive centers at the front. But throughout our lives, you know, 
I mentioned, I think, in our B for Belonging, you know, Brene Brown saying we are hardwired for love and belonging and connection and without it we suffer, we pain, we hurt, you know, throughout our lives, you know, whether we are, you know, a mewling infant in the first hour of birth to, you know, the last hour of our breaths on, on this planet before we go to wherever it is that we go when we die, mm-hmm. you know, there is... As a social species, a need for care and love and compassion, you know, and things like affectionate relationships, you know, show less stress hormones in the parties involved than in, you know, uh, relationships full of conflict. Mm -hmm. And you think about, you know, the chemical soup that we are bathing ourselves in through these experiences you know um we are biologically designed to have you know short periods of acute stress not long periods of low level chronic stress Mm. you know this i always talk about it as like emotional inflammation you know and having a low level of it you know if you think about someone who um a, a friend of mine has has eczema and you know, is it, really sensitive to um, dust and feathers and, you know, has, has a packet of histamines on hand consistently, you know, and, and his, 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 his biological body is always primed for threat. And so even the smallest thing coming in will trigger a flare up, you know, and I think it's the same with us, with our emotional bodies. You know, having this low level of emotional inflammation means that when things come, and they will, and they do, because we're human, um, our, our, our emotional immune system, if you like, is already taxed. It's already under, like, low-level stress. And so it's, it's, it's human and inevitable that these things can trigger us more than perhaps might be uh, proportional just because we're already like halfway to to to, to exploding, to crying, to to to, to dissociating, mm. you know, we don't have much capacity. Our window of tolerance, as they call it, our window of tolerance is already like you know, like a thickened letterbox. It's not a window anymore, you know. It's like <laughs> you can't get you can't get much through in there, you know. Parcels over parcels over a certain size are going to need a knock on the door. So you know. <laughs> That 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 reminds me. I don't know if it's if it's apposite, but it reminds me of those moments where, if I've been a little bit sad about something and maybe sitting and being contemplative, mm. and someone comes along and asks the genuine question. You know, I, I remember being eighteen, seventeen, or eighteen, and sitting and just you know. Being a gloomy, sullen, you know, overthinking teenager, mm-hmm. looking out into the countryside, and uh, someone came up to me, and and very kindly, someone you know, I didn't necessarily speak to all, all that all, all that much, um, mm. but someone I knew and, and and just showed some kindness, and you know, asked how I was, after, asked if I was okay, and the the, the dam just opened, you know, uh, and I just burst into tears. Um, mm. and it's, there was something about that expression of, you know, uh, of, of sort of, of compassion mm. or, or at least attentiveness or affection or something mm. was, was the sort of the one thing that just went, 
you know, and I think I, I, I think I think that's uh, somewhat hereditary uh, in my experience. <laughs> um, there's something in my family that we uh, have that reaction. But I, I I'm going to imagine that it is not that uncommon. Yeah, you know, I was gonna. One of the things I'd love, you know, if you're if you know you're you're listening to this, I'd love you to think, you know. And for all of us, really, you know, how comfortable are we with giving or receiving compassion? Mm-hmm. You know, i.e. this, you know, friendly care, patience and a sense of connectedness, because this can be a your level of comfort, particularly of receiving it. Because I think a lot of people are, or, or, may, or maybe it's just the, maybe I just move in very lucky circles. <laughs> but I tend to hang out with people who give a shit about other people. you know try and be compassionate and kind and things um and it's surprising how many of them find it far more difficult to be on the receiving end of that and i think actually you know i've definitely been in in situations and moments when i've i think i might have actually have said please don't be kind to me Mm. right now and, you know, this Brene Brown talks about this in Rising Strong. She talks about it, you know, hurt and the fear of high centering. You know, she's this is the idea of, you know, denying our feelings. Um, because if they rec- if we recognize our hurt or anger, you know, even if we engage just a little, we can't, aren't able to move back and pretend that it doesn't matter. But moving forward might actually open a floodgate of emotions that we can't control. Oh, I've just seen that. That's really landed. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you the I'll give you the page number in a bit. Yeah, thank you. um, you're welcome. Um, you know, because it's then because that triggers a feeling of helplessness. You know, and as she puts it, you know, recognizing emotion leads to feeling it. And what if I recognize the emotion and it dislodges something, and I can't maintain control? I don't want to cry at work or on the battlefield when I'm with my parents. Getting high-centered is the worst because we feel a total loss of control. We feel powerless. That connects with something I was I was curious about around vulnerability and why sometimes that expression of compassion might feel uncomfortable because it is an acknowledgement of us needing that compassion. It's, it's an, an acknowledgement that we are vulnerable as if we all went around as completely invulnerable human beings. You know, I think <laughs> it can be very difficult for some people to recognize <laughs> that they need to be, they, they need things, you know, they, they, they need, as you said earlier, and as I think we'll, we'll talk about uh, perhaps now is needing to be held. Yeah. Regardless of needing to be fixed. So that, you know, that, that feeling needing to be, needing to be held. And, um, I think to to maybe sideless into that is something that I I quote often because it, it was the it was my first uh, understanding of the, the first time I'd encountered this, uh, and there's one reason I think Mike Shaw is probably one of uh, America's great sitcom creators because he has a this really interesting understanding of the human condition or, or works with people who have an understanding of the human human condition and then mm. somehow manages to work that into a 22 minute sitcom <laughs> and the one that comes to mind is from 
the show with Amy Poehler, which is currently uh, has, has has left my mind, but it will come back to me in a moment. If I mm. keep talking, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, and it's and it's it's uh, it's uh, Parks and Recreation, and it's um, a few. It, it, it's a conversation with her best friend, um, the nurse, and Rob famous beautiful man actor mm-hmm. and beautiful famous man actor every time the nurse has a problem he wants to try and fix it and figure out because he's very action orientated he's very yeah. okay what can we do how can we solve this problem well, you know mm. action stations what do we do can we run it off can we you know he's just he's all action mm. and it takes a couple of friends to say to him what she wants is for you to get a pot of ice cream and sit with her and go that sucks doesn't it <laughs> and that's all she's looking for is is that moment to go that sucks doesn't it that it's 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 to actually be heard and to actually be held and when he realizes that and and he's able to play that moment out it's this lovely thing uh, and and you know that was i don't know 10 and 10 years ago uh, and mm. since you know th- this guy's gone on to make a show actually about the human condition and what happens when we die you know um but there, there's something very real in that and that's always stuck with me yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, at, at the risk of plugging another podcast, there's an episode on uh, one called Multiamory, which is, you know, encompasses all different kinds of relationships, not just kind of, you know, the, the, the traditional dyad, shall we say. And they talk about the triforce of communication. So there's three of them. The first one is sharing just to communicate information. And so it's kind of like, okay, so this is happening. Don't need any kind of response from you. Just letting you know this, this, is, this is going on. The second one is that, you know, I'm sharing this with you because I want emotional support so that, you, you know, bring the ice cream. Just mm-hmm. tell me that it sucks. Be loving and caring. That's, That's all most I want. of my family's Facebook uh, posts. <laughs> Genuinely. Like there's so much of that and I don't know that it's realized. Anyway, sorry, but, but there's a third thing I <laughs> Well, just, and just, just yes. to finish the tri- the tree, the, 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 the yeah, so the, the triad, and then the third one is, you know, I'm sharing this with you because actually, I I need some ideas on solutions, yes. but at, but actually having the um, the framework so you can actually say, okay, this, you know, this this is one, two, or three, mm-hmm. you know, actually making the bones of communication a little bit more um, visible can in and of itself be you know, a compassionate act for both people because then, you know, because we all tend to have, tend to move towards one or the other as a more of a default or an expectation, I think, you know, and sometimes, you know, and, and I've been guilty of it myself. Just last night I was having a conversation with someone and at, at a certain point they were in a fetal position on their sofa and I went, ooh, okay, I, I need to stop asking them questions which they really, really wish they were, were rhetorical about their relationship right now. Okay. <laughs> Okay. When actually they just, and you know, fair, fair play to them. They were very much kind of like, you're asking really great questions. I just don't know how to answer them. Yeah. You know, and, and I'll come back to them. But, you know, the second half of the conversation was a lot easier when I, 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 I stopped, you know, punching them against the, the ropes of the ring um, <laughs> with, 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 with ideas and solutions. And sometimes mm-hmm. even solutions, not even solutions, just in questions which are, in some way action orientated or um require reflection um rather than you know a warm blanket a warm hug which is like triforce two Mm -hmm. um because because yeah one of the things is you know i love 
you know, what Jeff Foster, it's a lovely video, it's only like eight minutes, and you see him realizing stuff. He's a non-duality teacher. And, you know, I do, you know, would love, you know, I, I love this idea of, you know, what's asking to be held rather than healed. And because, you know, that was the thing which he realized in the conversation with someone who was saying, you know, why, like, I've been doing all these practices for the last 20 years, you know, following a spiritual path. You know, I had a very traumatic childhood. Why aren't I better yet? Why am I still getting upset? You know, she's, the, the, the person is like getting upset even just talking mm. about this. And he just has this realization that, you know, these parts of ourselves are like children, hurt children. And actually they don't need, these things don't need to be healed. They actually just need to be welcomed in and just held. And by being held by, you know, that thing of being in the bottom of the pit, actually just sitting with these things sometimes. Because again, there can be an unconscious violence against these aspects of ourselves. If we feel that, oh, you're, yeah, you're not right as you are. You, you need to be different for me to accept you. You know, we would feel incredibly hurt if someone explicitly or implicitly uh, implied that to us. And yet we do that to our parts of ourselves as well. You know, and we, one of the things which, you know, I'm really mindful of is you know, none of us asked to be here having these lives. You know, this is something that, again, you know, Paul Gilbert talks about in the beginning of his book. He spends a lot of time talking about how we have you know, evolved a brain that is, has, has been, is built on old programming. I, I remember complaining to a friend um, using a, the, the, the software that my university use, uses for teaching and I said it's like it's based on Windows 3.1 mm-hmm. you know the way and he said and my friend who was actually doing a master's in understanding these 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 softwares but yeah essentially it is each time they update it they just build on the old stuff and so you get all this weird legacy shit <laughs> rather than starting it all afresh and it's the same with our brains you know we've got we've got was it 3.195 you know at Vista you know, we've got all kinds of like this. If, if if you press the wrong button in the wrong way, you get a C prompt unexpectedly. I mean, this is our brains. You know, we have these old brains, which are, you know, <laughs> I think Rich Hall puts it, you know, basically, you know, it's at this idea of, this idea of can I fight it or can I fuck it? Yeah. You know, yep. um, and, you know. And to be fair, there's a lot of screwball comedies from the 40s and onwards, which is like people who are fighting and then realizing actually there's an attraction there. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, so, so it plays out. Yeah. Um, plus this, mod, this newer mind, this newer brain, which is brilliant at imagining things and, you know, of inventing and being creative. And it's connected to a brain which has, you know, all, all these old primal desires, fears, and, and, and aggressions. And so it just ends up being amplified. And, you know, it's part of, part of compassion for ourselves and others, I think, is just recognizing that we all have this old brain and this new brain, this, this old mind and this new mind. We all have the part of us which is an animal which is concerned with safety and scarcity and are you a friend or foe 
Are you a potential mate? You know, why have they got more than I have? <laughs> etc., etc. Connected to this phenomenal capacity for imagination, for self-reflection, for self-awareness, for awareness of others, to, to ruminate, to replay. You know, it's, it's the, the tool itself isn't problematic. You know, it, it's a phenomenal capacity. And it's connected to something which churns out stuff which in the modern day and age we find problematic. Mm. You know, and we all have these impulses, you know, of wanting to check out when things get too tough. Because that's, that's the primal aspect of, you know, the reptilian aspect of playing dead. You know, we have this dissociate, the level of dissociation, which for some of us is complete, but some of us is just a little dimmer switch. And we just want to just dial down our experience of being alive just a little bit. Then we all have this, this much more energizing, but also much more life-threatening, you know, a fight or flight response, which is, feels really great at times because it's really energizing, but it means that, you know, it's not something which is sustainable, and then we have this this drive capacity, you know, this 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 wanting and chasing. We get the dopamine hits, and again, that feels good. But you know, if we if we're in that 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 stage too long, we burn out. And at the centre of all this is our, you know, no matter how much time we spend in these other places, these other territories, we all have within us an area of connection, of, fe- of safeness, of feeling safe, of being warm and receptive and present to others and content, being content. And just knowing that for all of us, we're bouncing in and out of these different places, you know, throughout the day. And some of us, you know, have set up house in some of these, you know, more outer lying areas, shall we say, mm. you know, and, and, and that's, that, that, that is how we are, you know, we're designed, you know, but this idea of, you know, we're all doing the best we can, giving the level of thinking that seems real to us, you know, and if our thinking is angry, if our thinking is sad, if our thinking is insecure, and we think that's real, mm-hmm. well, of course, we're going to act in ways which, you know, on a good day and a good night's sleep and a full belly, we'll go, why did I act like that? Why did they act like that? And it's because, you know, we are complicated creatures with complex, ever-shifting systems and seasons within us. And all we can really do right now is just take a breath and recognize that, hey, you're not alone. This is being human, folks. So... You've 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 made you've made the case for greater compassion. What can it what can it unlock for us? There is so much that we can be avoiding in our lives. You know, um, I I am a huge fan of acceptance and commitment training. Huh. <laughs> I, 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 which which is kind of like I don't know is it is it fourth or fifth wave cognitive behavioral therapy now I don't know mm. it 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 basically like regular CBT says okay you know is that true and that just connects into that you know the the old brain and new brain kind of like mm. fitting because 
like our old brain just feels that things are true and then our new brain just comes up with a whole ton of reasons you know to 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 consolidate that belief um but act says does it help you know and it's really about experiential avoidance and actually being able to be tender with ourselves and compassionate and giving ourselves, you know, that friendly care, that, that patience, that generosity allows us to be more with the things that are painful rather than avoid them and let go of the things that we feel are protecting us from those experiences. And when I say those things, they could be thoughts, beliefs, memories, etc., etc. And I just think that the amount of energy that can be released that is normally expended when we're pushing some things away and gripping tightly onto others. I think that's what it can unlock. And it's, it's different for different people. And, you know, I'm talking in particular about, you know, self-compassion, but I know for myself, some of the biggest changes, biggest shifts um, have come from when I have stopped pushing away my experience of someone and stopped letting go and stopped holding on to what I wanted from them um you know to be really personal this was what happened with my mum um she was she did her best and um I had what I describe as a character building upbringing mm. um and you know there was a period when we were estranged when I was very conscious that she wasn't the person, she wasn't the mother who I, who I wanted, essentially. And being able to be compassionate to myself for, for, that, for that need and, and to her for her experience and her upbringing allowed me to stop avoiding who she was at that time and actually fall in love with her with that. And it meant that I was able to release my grip. I will always wish that my childhood had been different I think you know I have a number of adverse in the adverse childhood experiences score I have I think four or five out of ten and I think four and above is associated with with, with ill health consequences and mental health consequences and I've been disabled by chronic illness for the last 16 years who knows what would have who knows how differently I would have turned out had the roots my formative years started in been been nourished and nurtured in a different way however being able to accept who she was through compassion through patience and generosity and friendly care i was able to have a relationship with her in the last few years of her life which was beautiful in and of itself and i think it's that kind of unlocking both for ourselves of just loosening the knots of shame that we have for aspects of ourselves we don't feel are accepted by others and also the compassion for others that means that we can start anew with a fresh with a with a friendship with a relationship with a with a with a connection and meet them as if we are meeting them for the first time rather than bringing the emotional baggage and the emotional resentment that um is inevitably collected as we as we go through being human Gosh, well, as as we uh, as, as as we bring this home, um, what can we uh, 
what can we offer our our listener to um, perhaps help as 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 the as the uh, vernacular would have it, I understand now, <laughs> to close this container. Ooh. That's a word that we use now, apparently. <laughs> makes me think of Tupperware, but apparently yeah, we call yeah. things containers now. <laughs> I, 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 I just have to have a, a, a moment of like humble brag. Like so, Someone came and stayed with me recently, and one of the things that they rhapsodized over the most was the fact they opened one of my kitchen drawers and all my Tupperware was like neatly... Yes. It, like stacked and the lids all together and everything like size wise insert uh, it's just apparently it's a thing of beauty I, yes. I will send you a photo later it is, it is also <laughs> correct yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah to, to close this Tupperware in a loving and kind way I would love to just guide everyone I would love to guide you in a brief loving kindness meditation Um. so yeah if you're listening Right now, I just love you too. And if it's safe to do so, you know, perhaps close your eyes. Or just allow yourself to settle and call to mind someone right now who is easy, easy to love. Someone you know has your best interests at heart. You know, they're, they're human too and they have struggles. They also have this complicated relationship in their minds and their bodies. Just wishing them some well wishes right now. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be free of suffering. And now we're just going to expand this little circle of compassion just a little bit more so you can step in beside them. Because you're also doing your best, the best that you can. You too deserve love and compassion. As Jack Cornfield says, if your compassion does not include yourself, it is incomplete. And so I would love to invite you to send these kind wishes to yourself too. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be free of suffering. And now because... Compassion, it's an infinite resource. I'm going to invite us to just spread this circle wide, wider and wider, encompassing people that we we may not know well, people that we're neutral about, complete strangers, until it encompasses the whole world, all the beings, all the creatures, every stone, every blade of grass, every atom. And we're going to send compassionate well wishes to everyone, to everything on this planet. May we be safe. May we be happy. May we be healthy. And may we be free of suffering. And that is our wish. And we send it with love to everyone and everything in the world. The A to Z of Happiness is presented by Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. It's produced by Origin and you can find us at a2zofhappiness.com where you'll also find links to the things we discussed. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them, whichever way is easiest for you. 
take care and do join us again next week on the A to Z of happiness. Thank you.